megawatts in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself when I Table fam, what's up, y'all? If I have not had a chance to meet you, uh, my name is Isaac. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at First Orlando, young adult pastor and part of our table leadership team here tonight. And tonight, y'all, we are starting a brand new series uh, called Sermon on the Mount. Where we're going to be going through the next uh, the cha- Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, section by section, just journeying through the Sermon on the Mount and seeing what it has to teach us. Um, but to kick us off, here's what I want to ask. Have you, do you currently... Or want to own a boat? No? No? Why, why no? It's so expensive. Yeah. Okay, here some people are like, I don't care. Money's no object. Like, I am owning a boat one day. Anybody over here? Yep, yep, yep. Because here's, so let me tell you a story when I was on a boat. Um, so whenever, uh, back whenever I was... Um, uh, a few years ago, uh, one of my mentors took me and a few others. Uh, like he invited us out um, on his boat, right? So we're out there, like the, the butler, butler chain of lakes, and he's going, and you know the boat is just going, and it's like, and I just feel like the wind in my face, like, ah, and it was like amazing. I've never done that before, experienced that before. And eventually we finish, or not finish. We eventually we stop, um, and then he just kind of gets real still, and he says, "There's nothing like the wind in your face that blows the cobwebs off your soul." And I'm like, I had two thoughts. One was, all right, like Yoda, like that was so profound, okay. And my second thought was, I need a boat one day. Yep, I need the cobwebs off my soul, just constantly just blowing off. I think I need a boat one day, right? And if you know if you own a boat or the reason why you don't want a boat, there's the happiest day in owning a boat, you know this, the happiest day in owning a boat is the day you buy a boat. The second happiest day in owning a boat is when? The day you sell the boat, right? Because as we said earlier, it's a money pit, right? So people that own a boat, here's what they experience, right? They experience temporary happiness. Temporary, like you think a boat, you think being out on the lake, you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. And yet the reality is that this happiness that you experience is incredibly temporary. But maybe you don't own a boat and have no desire to own a boat, but maybe this. Um, do you know the job that you have? Or maybe I'll say this. You know the job you used to have? Okay, what was the best day on the job? The day you started. When was the, sec- when was the second best day? The day you quit, right? <laughs> right? There's, so there's this idea of, uh, of just temporary happiness, or maybe it's not jobs, maybe it's relationships, right? Maybe um, uh, with the day you're in a relationship that you're no longer in anymore, the best day, the day it started. And then after months of like crying and crying and crying, then later, months later, you process and you're like, man, I'm so glad that was terrible. I'm so glad I'm out of that, right? We all experience this. Or maybe it's um, uh, we find or we think that we find money or find happiness in our money, in our finances, right? And we think, man, if I can just hit a certain income level, then I'll just know that I'm set and I'll be happy, right? And then we hit that, or maybe we are, our lives currently, like we're striving to hit that, and we're trying to put a plan in place, right? Uh, <laughs> or maybe you're thinking, um, like, Isaac, look, Isaac, 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 I know money doesn't buy happiness. I know that. I just want to know for sure, right? <laughs> like, so we're talking today about temporary happiness, and this is, what, this is the question that we're asking. Where will I find lasting happiness? 
right? I don't want temporary happiness. I don't want to, like, yeah, I may or may not want a boat. I may or may not want a job. I may or may not want a relationship. I may or may not want some money. Yeah, yeah, I I understand those things are temporary, but where am I going to find lasting happiness, right? Because, look, I meet with many of you, right? I meet with so many of you, and here's what I know the young adult experience in Orlando to be, whether you're a college student or whether you're a young professional. Here's the young adult experience in Orlando. It's up, and then it's down, and then it's up, and then it's down, and then it's up, and then it's down, and then it's to the side, and then it's to this side, and then it's up, and then it's down, right? And then you're like, you just feel so, life is so complex. Life can feel so overwhelming, right? Some things, things in life are incredible. And sometimes things in life are just really, really, really hard. And here we are just trying to grasp and find things where we're going to find something that actually lasts whenever just the nature of Orlando, it is what it is, right? The nature of Orlando, things around us just constantly seem to be swirling. Sometimes we control it, and sometimes we don't control it. And here we are just grasping, trying to find, regardless of what's going on, right? Or trying to get ourselves to a position where we can just feel content, feel satisfied, feel happy, feel joy, right? You guys understand what I'm saying? I'm getting a few nods. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So how can we find lasting happiness, right? Where are we going to find lasting happiness? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 as we're kicking off the series, kicking off Sermon on the Mount. And as you're turning there, here's what you need to know. Is that God created the world for good. God created the world for good, but it didn't stay good for very long because just a couple of pages in on page three of your Bible in chapter three, brokenness and sin enters into the world, right? And that's where we still find ourselves today with brokenness and sin um, that's entered into the world. So Jesus then comes to earth to heal the broken world, to make things as they ought to be. See, he comes announcing this thing that's going to make everything right. And this thing that's going to make everything right, this thing that's going to make things as they ought to be, this is what he came announcing. He came announcing the kingdom of God, right? We talked about this last week, right? And the kingdom of God, if you heard last week, you remember this, is that is Jesus ruling as king over everyone and everything forever. Jesus ruling as king over everyone and everything forever. So he announces the kingdom of God. He's coming to make things right. He's coming to make things as they ought to be. And after he announces the kingdom of God, again, last week we talked about this, he starts inviting people. He calls on his disciples to learn how to think like him and learn how to do like him. So he invites his disciples as he's building the kingdom of God. That's the destination, right? Like this is where we're going. We're building the kingdom of God. He invites people to learn how to think like him and learn how to do like him, right? So then Matthew chapter 5, that's the context that kind of sets the stage. So we get to Matthew chapter 5 and he says this. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples, his learners, the people that are learning how to think like him and do like him, these disciples came to him, right? So here's, we learned this last week. Here's the definition of a disciple of Jesus. A definition of a disciple of Jesus is learning to think how Jesus thinks and do how Jesus does. So he goes up on the mountain, right? He sits down. The people that are learning from him um, are coming from him, right? And then he gives what we're about to explore over the next 21 weeks, the best sermon of all time, the goat of sermons, if you will, the greatest of all time, right? So, and as he's giving, starts off the sermon, um, uh, the helpful question for us as his disciples are trying to learn from him um, is, do you remember the, uh, the, the WWJD bracelets? Are those popular still? No? 
Like, Isaac, this isn't the 90s, bro. That's so, me, I grew up in the 90s, and like the, the black with the kind of the white tread, uh, WWJD bracelets were like super popular, right? And I, they kind of made a comeback, but not, not quite. Uh, so WWJD, what would Jesus do? Here's a better question, though. W-W-J-D-I-H-W-M. What would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he had my job? What would Jesus do if he had my family? What would Jesus do if he had my relationships? See, what would Jesus do if he was in the context, not of first century Galilee, if he was in 21st century Orlando? What would Jesus do if he were me? And this is the exact framework that Jesus is inviting us into to learn from him as he's starting this, the goat of sermons, the greatest sermon of all time, Sermon on the Mount, right? Where he's going to help us think like him and do like him. So help us answer the question of not just what would Jesus do in a theoretical space, what would Jesus do if he were me, right? So he continues, right? In verse two, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, right, so he's going to teach them a lot of things. And the first thing that he teaches is exactly what we're talking about today. He's going to teach them how to be happy. He's going to teach them how to find not, not temporary happiness, but, uh, but lasting happiness, right? And as he's doing this, see, most, the people that he's talking to, their experience currently, they're miserable. They're not happy at all. They're not experiencing any, it's so, it's so fleeting. Maybe they're having a good day, maybe, maybe, but there was a lot of Roman persecution at the time, right? There was a lot of other persecution coming in at the time. Most people are not having a good time, right? Life is terrible. They're just trying to survive, right? And then something, the people that he's talking to, something may get better, but whenever that one thing gets better, something else gets worse. Sound familiar? As soon as just one thing in life starts like, it's kind of going okay, just something else in your life just seems to break, and you're just like, when am I, where am I going to find lasting happiness, right? And the way that he structures this, and now he's about to give eight statements, and these eight statements, if you grew up in church, you know this. They're called Beatitudes. And these eight statements are statements that changed the world. These next eight statements are the most powerful statements put together as a collective, as a whole. We're going to look at all of them together today. And these statements together changed the world. And here's the structure. It says, blessed are blank for blank. That's the structure of the next eight statements is blessed are blank for blank, right? And with these blanks, blessed are, um, and this is a picture for and a promise. So this word blessed, this word blessed, different people interpret it different ways. Here's one way to think about it. It's the good life, the whole life, the life in Jesus, right? The life in some translations of your Bible may even say the word happy, right? And you're like, Isaac, you can't say blessed is happy. You can't say, because happiness is like from the world, right? Jesus gives joy. Like, look, 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 look. Chill. Um, in your scriptures, I just want to, this is like a minor point, but I'll address it anyway. Um, in your scriptures, the word happy, the word joy, the word contentment, the word satisfaction, the word rejoicing are all fairly saying the same thing. So if you think that happiness comes from the world, you have a really cheap definition of happiness. Happiness comes from God. 
And so I want to deepen our definition of happiness. I don't want to cheapen it. I want to deepen how we think through happiness and being happy, right? So blessed, happy, happy are the people that, right? The good life, the Jesus life, the satisfied life, the content life, the life is swirling around me and it's chaotic, but here I am steady and I'm blessed and I'm happy because, and here's the blessed are, and here's a picture of what that looks like. And here's a promise of what that means. So let's jump in. Let's jump in. Um, are, can you, are you guys willing to hang with me? Because we got to go through eight. It can be a lot, but I want to make sure we hit all of them. Are you guys in for the ride? Cool, cool. Okay, let's do this. Eight statements. Okay, eight statements. Here we go. So blessed are, here's the first one. Actually, before we do that, I put in my notes, I wanted to pray. I want to pray for us. Uh, just to help us really um, help have the Holy Spirit um, help us see and understand the most powerful next statements Jesus, please help us understand your word. God, please just help me right now in this moment. God, just with my table friends that I love so dearly, God, and I pray uh, that I can get out of the way, God, and that you can just help us, God, and use me, God, just be as helpful as possible to glorify you and that our people can see the goodness and the richness of what we're about to read. Love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's jump in, where he says this. He says, Blessed are, here's the first one, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. Okay. Who here understands being poor? Uh-huh. Okay. What's today? Today is uh, the, the 30. Oh, rent's tomorrow. Do y'all know this? Sheesh. Wow. You're like, Isaac, thanks for reminding me, bro. Right? And then you're like, you're about to leave right now to go pick up an extra shift. Right? Like, if you got to do that, do that. Hey, we all understand this idea of being poor, not having anything, not having money, struggling, right? Not having much. And this is the exact same idea that Jesus is describing when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our spirituality, is that we're poor in spirit. When it comes to faith, when it comes to the things of God, things of the Spirit, we have absolutely nothing to offer. We are bankrupt. We have absolutely nothing. Hey, look, I love you. This section over here, I love you. You have nothing to offer when it comes to faith and comes to God. You don't. Okay, right here. I love you. You have nothing to offer God. Okay, over here. You have nothing to offer God. You are spiritually poor. And that's what Jesus says is the happy life, is that we recognize that we have nothing to offer, Right? We have nothing to offer because we're spiritually bankrupt before God. We're sinners under a holy wrath of God, and we deserve nothing but the judgment of God. We have nothing to offer but God. This is amazing, right? So that's our starting place, and here's, here's the promise. That's the, the picture of what that looks like. Here's the promise. We get the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? We didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to earn anything. We didn't have to, like, pay checks. We didn't have to earn it, Right? We just get the kingdom of God, right? And the kingdom of God, again, God's rule, which brings salvation and healing. So here's the deal. This is the best deal. This is the gospel. Here's the best deal in the history of the world. We say, God, I have nothing. And God says, cool, I'm going to give you everything. We have nothing to offer. And Jesus pays the way that gives us everything, gives us the kingdom of God. Well, let's keep going here in verse 4 where he says, um, blessed are those who mourn. Here's the picture. Blessed are people that mourn, and here's the promise. For they shall be comforted, right? So this is such a paradox. This one specifically, such a paradox. How can people that mourn be blessed? How can people that are just despairing and crying and mourning be happy? It's such a paradox, 
right? And whenever we think about mourning, we can think about it in a few different ways, right? One of the ways that we think about mourning is if you've ever experienced loss. I've experienced loss. You probably have experienced loss. If you've ever experienced loss, it's mourning, and it's devastating, right? And you, you just feel it at such a deep level, experience um, loss in that way. Another way to think through mourning, though, is to think through mourning through the lens of our spiritual poorness, our spiritual bankruptcy, right? So um, there's an author, he says this. He says, it is one thing to be spiritually poor and acknowledge it. It is another to grieve and mourn over our spiritual poverty. We mourn, it breaks us. Our sin breaks us. The sin of others breaks us. We mourn, we grieve over it, right? Do you remember the story of Jesus um, and Lazarus, right? Jesus wept. Why did Jesus cry? Why did Jesus weep? Was he sad because his friend died? Hmm. Most people would say he was sad because of the brokenness in the world and the sin that was in the world. We mourn with spiritual, our spiritual poorness, right? We can mourn. And God calls us happy. We can be happy. We can be blessed in that mourning. Why? For they shall be comforted. The psalmist, he writes this. He writes, you track, you keep track of all of my sorrows. And he says this, you have collected, he's talking to God, David's talking to God. You collect my tears in a bottle. Man, you find yourself crying at night in your pillow. You're just weeping and weeping and weeping. And every, you're just, stuff, done, stuff has been done to you. You've done stuff that you're so shameful of. And you're weeping and you're weeping and you're crying and you're spiritually poor. You have nothing to offer God and you feel so broken. We call ourselves a banquet for the broken here at the table. That's exactly what we're talking about. Is we have nothing to offer. We are so broken. And in our brokenness, here Jesus comes, here God comes, and he gives us comfort. So if you're sitting here tonight, and you feel so shameful, you feel condemned, you feel like, Isaac, you don't know what I just did in the car. You don't know what I did earlier today. You don't know what I did last week, right? And you're mourning and you feel so much shame and condemnation coming through these doors. Can I tell you what God does for you? He comforts you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus comforts you. And when it brings sadness and tears, he collects those tears and he puts it in a bottle. And in Revelation, he says, there's gonna be one day where we're not crying anymore. And Jesus is gonna wipe away every tear from our eye. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He writes, he continues right here in verse five, where he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's the picture. Meekness is often misunderstood. We think through meekness typically as weakness because they rhyme, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but meekness cannot be more opposite than weakness. Here's the definition of meekness. Meekness means controlled strength. Meekness means controlled strength. So I want you to imagine this MMA fighter and he's huge and he's buff and he trains, right? And he's like the best fighter, like wins all the belts, right? And he just like goes, like you do not mess with this guy. He is so strong. And yet there he is at night just braiding his daughter's hair. Isn't that sweet? could break the necks of people. <laughs> and with so much tenderness, and here's another way to think through meekness, gentleness, with so much gentleness, then braids his daughter's hair and just gets it and learns how to do it, right? I'll be there one day, God willing, right? And here's what, here's what they get. Um, inherit the earth, right? See, ungodly people, see, they, they boast. Ungodly people throw their weight around. Ungodly people just want to show their strength all the time, never want to control their strength. They think that power comes into showing your strength all the time, always. Meekness is controlling your strength. 
Now imagine after he braids her hair, now she's like, Daddy, can we go get ice cream? And his heart melts, right? And then they go out and they get ice cream and they're there like at the ice cream truck. And then an attacker wants to come and do them harm. That strength is unleashed now. And with power, it takes them down. It's meekness. Meek, meekness is strength under control, right? Uh, so people that are meek, right, we don't, we control our strength. And because we're controlling our strength, um, various things come up. And sometimes we get looked over and it's okay. Sometimes we get passed over, it's okay. Sometimes we don't get the things that we deserve, it's okay. Here's what the promise is. We inherit the earth. Our time will come. We inherit the earth. And one day, if you don't realize it now, you'll realize it later. Because one day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth that you will fully inherit as a citizen of the kingdom um, in meekness. Let's keep going here. Verse 6. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right? See, this, this hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is a longing, a longing for God. And as we long for God, as we hunger and we thirst for God, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, this is a, a character and behavior that is pleasing to God. So a picture of someone that wants to hunger and thirst for righteousness is someone that wakes up and says, God, I want my character to be pleasing to you. I want my... Excuse me, I want my actions to be pleasing to you, God. This is what I long for. This is what I hunger for. And as we're, hung, hung, as we're longing and hungering and thirsting for a character that is pleasing to God, we will find satisfaction in that. That's where we become satisfied, right? We'll keep going here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's the picture. The word merciful um, can almost be thought of as forgiving, Blessed, happy are people that are forgiving people, that are gracious, that give people more than they deserve, that don't punish people, that whenever they do deserve it. Blessed are the merciful. Happy are people that are forgiving people, that release it, that don't hold grudges, that don't hold on to things. Why? For they will be forgiven. They are forgiven, right? This is the promise, right? The picture is that someone is a forgiving person and the promise is that God forgives them. We'll keep going here in verse eight, right? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, right? Pure in heart. Another way to think through pure in heart is sincerity. Or maybe a kind of a buzzword is being, I'm authentic, y'all right? Just being really authentic, being transparent, right? Not being fake. You're like, oh, they're so fake. She was so fake. He was so fake, right? Like not being fake, being sincere, right? That's what being pure in heart means is being sincere, not being fake, being authentic, right? Being our, your, our true selves, right? It's, it's so tempting, myself included here, just to put on a mask, try to perform, especially. Um, did anybody like grow up in church? If you grew up in church, here's what you grew up around. Fake nice, Mm, mm, mm. Here's fake nice. Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> bless your heart. If somebody says bless your heart, that's like the Christian middle finger, right? <laughs> bless, your, bless your heart means I hate you and everything in your being, but I'm at church, so I got to be fake nice. Oh, bless her heart. Oh, she, <laughs> just bless his heart, right? That's not what this is saying. This thinks sincerity and, and authenticity, 
right? Being, being sincere, right? I was meeting with a guy um, back, this is a few years ago, like here at the table. I've met him, really cool dude. We, we became friends. So I'm at his house one day and we're just hanging out. <laughs> and then I'm there and I guess I'm unintentionally, because I grew up in church, I'm a recovering, uh, recovering um, uh, church person, meaning like I have a tendency, like I hate, like I, like, I hate, like I, this is one of my least favorite traits about myself, but I know that I lean into it sometimes. And I'm pleased y'all know I'm actively working on it. And maybe you've seen me and I'm like, Isaac just smiles all the time, right? And I'm working on it. I'm trying not to smile all the time. And so, so I was meeting with this guy and I, we're talking, we're hanging out. And I guess I was leaning into uh, to, to being fake and not being sincere. And I could even feel it in the moment where I just kept like being like real smiley and I hated it, but like I didn't really know how to like work through that. Where eventually he asks me, he's like, Isaac, what makes you angry? I'm like, I was really thrown off. I'm like, why are you asking what makes me angry? He's like, man, because I feel like you're just kind of faking right now and I don't feel like I really know you. So if you just let me know what makes you angry, then I can get to know the real you. He was spot on. <laughs> and that helped tore the wall down to helping me, creating me, cultivate a, a purity of heart, a, a sincerity, right? So, and people that are sincere, they see God. There's no like, where is God? I can't see him. Like, oh no, where is God? People that are just sincere. Like, God, I just want to see you. I just want to be authentic with you, right? And God loves that about us is our sincerity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Okay, here's the word peacemaker. Here's what this doesn't mean. Peace faker. See, the word peacemaker kind of goes with being um, a pure of heart, a sincerity, right? Especially at church, there can be so much peace faking. You know, like if you ever been to a life group, you know there's beef. You feel it. Everybody feels it, right? And then what do you keep doing? Like, oh, let's just pray. And then, and then what happens? You have tension in life group with someone. And then what do you do? You go and you talk to every other person in the life group except for that person, right? We've experienced this, right? This is not peacemaking. See, what peacemakers do, the picture of a peacemaker is that we reconcile. The, 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 the picture of a peacemaker is that we see a gap and we run to the gap. We see there's tension, we run to it. There's a pastor up in New York, his name is Pete Cazero. Um, he did an amazing message about peacemaking. And he said this, he says, because along with a peacemaker being a reconciler of broken relationships, he says this too, peacemakers are disruptors of false peace. He says, true peace cannot exist in the, in the, in the presence of false peace. True peace can't exist until you disrupt false peace. So a, a picture of a person who's a peacemaker is someone that is constantly disrupting the fakeness, the niceness, right? To get to the true heart of what it means to be genuine and, and authentic, right? To disrupt false peace and get to true peace, right? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, this is a few chapters after the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking. He says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why would Jesus say that? If he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, but Jesus says, hey, I'm not coming to bring peace. I'm coming to bring a sword. What he's saying, I'm not coming just to keep things as they are. I'm not coming to keep a false sense of peace around. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to scorch the earth on fire with the sword through love. That's the kicker. <laughs> but with the sword, I am disrupting false peace 
right? And whenever people that disrupt false peace and have a picture of disrupting false peace, um, here's what they're called. Sons of God, people that are peacemakers, that reconcile broken relationships and disrupt false peace, they're part of God's family. God calls us our children, his children, right? But peacemakers, here's what we go through in verse 10, where he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? If you live your life peacemaking, reconciling with people and disrupting false peace, what happens? You're persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? Because people like false peace because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because it doesn't require anything. You can just keep doing what you're doing, not have to reconcile any relationships. Have you ever reconciled a relationship? It's incredibly difficult. It's painful. It's hard. But people that just like things as they are, maybe like this is um, the Romans that are in charge. These are the Jews at the time that are in charge, just keeping a a kind of puppet um, governors overneath the area at the time. And Jesus comes in to disrupt the false peace of them being in charge. And he's saying, hey, blessed, happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs, what do they get? Again, the kingdom of heaven, salvation and healing and victory. Those are the eight statements. Aren't they powerful? And here's what, look, and this is can be number nine or kind of viewed as an epilogue, verse 11, where he says, blessed are you, they kind of go together. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says this, rejoice, be happy, rejoice, be happy, be satisfied, be content and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. If you're living your life as a picture of what it means to live in the kingdom and know the promises are coming and your reward may not be fully realized on this side of heaven, but whenever Jesus comes back or you die, whatever happens first, right? Your reward is gonna be great in heaven. Here's the big idea for tonight is that happiness is found in the picture and the promise of the kingdom. Where do I find lasting happiness? Not cheap happiness, but lasting happiness, joy, satisfaction, contentment. Happiness is found in the picture and the promise of the kingdom. Okay, let's look. I want to look at the picture. We kind of looked at them as, as like cup, uh, couplets or like lines together. I want to look at all the picture together, right? Let's look at all the picture together. Here it is on the screen here. The picture together is poor in spirit. The picture of someone living in the kingdom is you mourn. The picture of someone living in the kingdom is gentle. The picture of someone living in the kingdom is longing for righteousness. It's a person that's forgiving sincere, a peacemaker, persecuted for righteousness, yet rejoicing. Isn't that an amazing picture? And this is why the Beatitudes are so beautiful, because you don't take them, which is why we didn't do them one at a time, we did them all together, is you can't just say, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm this, but not that. No, no, no. As a, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, as a follower of Jesus, in totality, this is the picture Everything together, all of these statements together is the picture. But here's the question. What is this a picture of? What is this a picture of? Did you grow up in Sunday school? You know the answer. What's this a picture of? Jesus, right here. This is a picture of Jesus. I love this picture because like, we we're joking about this earlier. Because it's like Jesus and he's like, yeah. And they're like, we them boys. They're like on a mission. Going to go like do something, like scorch the earth on fire, like for the kingdom. This is a a picture of Jesus. This is what Jesus looks like. Jesus is poor in spirit. Jesus is mourning. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is longing for righteousness. He's forgiving. He's sincere. He's a peacemaker, 
persecuted for righteousness and rejoicing. This is the picture, and here's what he does. And I intentionally chose this picture. Look, there's people following him. He's on a mission. He's on a mission to bring his kingdom, to bring this picture, not just with himself, but to bring this picture to the whole world. That is the mission that he's on. And he invites people to journey with him to be part of this mission. And here's the picture, right? But what's the promise? Here's the promise. With this picture, here's the promise. Is that whenever you look like Jesus, when you're following Jesus, here's what you get. The kingdom of heaven, you're comforted, you inherit the earth, you're satisfied, you're forgiven, you see God, you belong to God's family, and great is your reward in heaven, right? Here's what we tend to do, though. What we tend to do is, as we look at the picture of Jesus, we tend to not want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We want Jesus to conform to our image, right? And even politically, you see this, right? Republicans, no, Jesus is on our side. Democrats, no, Jesus is on our side, right? People just keep claiming Jesus and want Jesus on their team. And Jesus is like, y'all, y'all forget I'm the one that chooses teams here, right? And Jesus says, hey, I'm conforming you to my image, right? So what we tend to do, though, is we tend to highlight the parts of Jesus that look like us, and we want to diminish the parts of Jesus that don't look like us, right? Maybe it's, hey, look, um, I'm really, I'm a, I'm a really, I'm, I cry a lot, so I'm mourning, and I'm really gentle, like I get that, right? And I'm poor in spirit, I get that, right? And what Jesus is calling to you is a boldness to be a peacemaker. Or maybe you're like, oh, I can, I can peacemake all right, <laughs> And what Jesus is calling you to is to be gentle, right? There's parts of Jesus. We need to take this as a whole. And as, as we take what, the, what Jesus looks like and what he's trying to conform us into is in the full likeness, the full picture of who Jesus is, as well as we don't need to strive after the promise, we freely get the promise. We don't need to strive after trying to find satisfaction, right? We've been there. We've tried to find satisfaction and satisfaction and satisfaction. It's like a, a Mick Jagger, like, I can't get no uh-uh, satisfaction, right? And we keep looking for it. I don't need to sing anymore. We keep looking for satisfaction and we can't find it and we can't find it and we can't find it and we can't find it. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, stop trying to look for satisfaction. Just look like me. See, a lot of us, we try to inherit the earth, right? We're mad because we didn't get the promotion. We're mad because we got overlooked. We're mad because we didn't get the relationship that we wanted. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, you freely get the promise of inheriting the earth. Look like me. See, for some of us, um, we, we try to find comfort by, by self-medicating with alcohol, with sex, whatever it may be, right? We just want it with pornography, with watch, uh, binge-watching rom-coms, right? We just want to find comfort and find comfort and find comfort, right? And what Jesus is saying, hey, look, you don't need to like search for comfort. I promise I will give you comfort. I promise that to you. Here's what you need to do. Look like me. Follow me. I will make you into my image. And I promise you, you're going to get everything. You don't need to strive after the promises. We just need to focus on looking like Jesus. And that is where we find our happiness. Again, the big idea is happiness is found in the picture and the promise of the kingdom, right? I remember when I was a, a college student, I went to Baylor University, Second Bears. Uh, do y'all know that Baylor, this is totally an aside, uh, Baylor just joined the Big 12 and gets to play UCF. We have any UCF fans in the room? I'm excited because then I get to be at both the UCF and Baylor game. That's completely a side of the story. Okay, coming back here. So um, when I was a college student at Baylor, I remember feeling um, lonely. I remember feeling incredibly overwhelmed. I had schoolwork, right? 
I, I, I was trying, I was serving at church. I was trying to be involved in all these activities. And as a college student, I just f- felt completely just overwhelmed and trying to find things and trying to find friends and trying to find my footing and making sure that I got good grades. Eventually I got to the point where like, I just don't care about grades anymore. I just want to graduate. Like deep for diploma, let's go, right? And I just want to like, get a job. And I just like, who cares about my GPA, right? I just want to go do that. And I just remember just thinking as a college student, just thinking like, man, I'm just here I am trying to find happiness. And there was some aim, and God's been faithful in my life. But as a college student, how much more happy, fulfilled, satisfied I would have been fully focusing on um, just being made into the image of Jesus, right? Then I got to, my, as a young adult, I moved to Dallas, Texas, and I was living in Dallas throughout my mid-20s. And I was like, jobs and relationship and friends, and just trying to navigate all that. And y'all heard this before, and I'm sure you'll hear it a lot again later. Like, I hit my quarter-life crisis where, like, I don't know who my friends are, right? I don't know what my job is. I don't know what my financial situation is like. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going, right? And here's what Jesus says. As a college student, as a young professional, wherever you find yourself, the picture and the promise, this is a really big picture of Jesus's kingdom. Jesus is in charge of everything, right? So if you look at the picture, there's good, there's bad, how you may define it like in an earthly sense, but this picture is in totality, the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God looks like is looking like Jesus, being a citizen of his kingdom and getting to experience the promise that he gives both now and forever. And even last week, man, even as we, I thought last week was incredible, like I absolutely loved gathering here in LMC last week. And I'm really glad that we get to call this our new home. But I remember feeling last week, like I was starting like new Sunday morning groups and teams and classes. Um, I, we had the Tuesday kicking off. Um, then we had like meetings, like to evaluate how Tuesday went. And then I got to the weekend now thinking through, okay, like here's Tuesday's coming again. My work week's coming again. And I just remember yesterday just feeling incredibly overwhelmed as as I was leaving work. I was like, man, I just don't, I know y'all have never felt this way, right? I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do. I don't have enough time. And here I am finding myself incredibly overwhelmed, just feeling I don't have enough time. And here's what I was thinking, what God graciously reminded me of, of Jesus saying, Isaac, this is my kingdom. You live in my kingdom. I'm king, I'm in charge, look like me, just do what's available in the moment, and I promise you, you'll get the kingdom of heaven. I promise you, you'll be comforted. I promise you'll be satisfied. I promise you'll see God. Isaac, look like me, right? Be poor in spirit. Isaac, the reason you feel like you have nothing to offer, the reason you feel that way, is because you have nothing to offer, bro. You don't. And it's in me where you find the kingdom of heaven and satisfaction. So here's how we're, we're wrapping up today, is this. What does that mean for us? If the big idea is happiness is found in the picture and the promise of the kingdom, here's here's our responsibility. Here's what we do. We repent. Maybe I grew up in church and growing up in church, it's like, repent, you're going to hell, like turn or burn, right? Here's what repentance actually means. Like if you look it up, the, the definition of repentance, it means to change your mind, change your thinking. So when Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, change your thinking. Change the way you think. You're not thinking correctly. Change your thinking, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you repent. I'm going to help you change your thinking to look more like me so that if you think like me, you'll do like me, right? Repent and believe. Belief is action. Repent is a mindset shift, changing our mind. So here's how we repent, right? Repent. Ask God to help you. Read the scriptures and ask your Christian friends for help. If you want to repent, if you want to change your mind, 
here's what you do. You ask God to help you. You read the scriptures. And you ask your Christian friends for help. Or on your screen, as it says here, you read your Bible, ask God for help, and ask your Christian friends for help. And if you do that, your mind will be changed. Your thinking will be changed to think more like Jesus. And as you think more like Jesus, you'll see more like Jesus. And as you see more like Jesus, you'll seek more like Jesus. And as you seek more like Jesus, you will be satisfied. You will be happy, right? If you're a Christian, you know this, right? You know this. You know that Jesus is the only, living in his kingdom is the only way to experience true happiness, right? And the reason, and we just, Sometimes as Christians, we may feel like it's temporary. We may feel like it's fleeting. And Jesus has this beautiful invitation of continued repentance, right? Repentance is not just a one-time thing. Repentance is a continual. It started one day and then it continues for the rest of your life to continually change your mind to think how Jesus thinks until one day you die. And then you get to see Jesus face to face. And that's amazing. Now, for some of you, You've actually, I'm talking about happiness. I've been describing the picture and you may be saying, that doesn't look like me at all. And Isaac, actually, man, if if I were to be honest, I've never experienced the happiness and the joy that you're describing. I've never experienced it. And it's possible that the reason that you've never experienced the satisfaction that I'm talking about, the happiness, the rejoicing that I'm talking about is because we've never repented in the first place and received the call of Jesus, the invitation that Jesus gives. The reason you've never experienced this happiness is because you're not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, Jesus loves you and Jesus is calling you to follow him to where now you can receive freely the gift, this completely free gift that Jesus has for you to follow him, to have a new life in him where you can experience the happiness that I've been describing. Man, and if that's you, I personally wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you after the service. If you're saying, Isaac, what you're describing, I don't know if I'm actually a Christian. I'm like, hey, I love that you're here. I love you. I wanna talk to you. Come find me after the service. And we're gonna respond here um, with the song. But as we respond, here are the, the life group uh, questions for the week, right? Here are the life group questions. Um, you know, what's a story from your life where you found temporary happiness? What's a story from your life where you found temporary happiness? Here's question number two. Um, in looking at the picture of the kingdom, which aspects do you tend to emphasize and which ones do you tend to minimize? And number three, and in verses 10 through 12, why is persecution a necessary part of the Christian life? You won't talk about this now. You can talk about this in your life groups um, during the week. And here's a bonus question, bonus, number four. Uh, what does cultivating consistent repentance change your thinking look like for you on the day-to-day and the week-to-week? Okay, here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for us. I want you to be the happiest person in Orlando. I want you to have a joy that radiates. I want you to have a satisfaction so deep that nothing phases you, that nothing's gonna take away your joy. The enemy is gonna come. He's gonna try to steal it from you. He's gonna try to attack you, right? And it happens and we experience that. We're gonna experience persecution. And here's what I want us to be. I want us to be a people that are unwavering. That persecution comes, attacks come, right? Our life circumstances, our life circumstance changes, right? And even in the midst of all the chaos around us, we are a people that are so firmly rooted and we look so much like Jesus that we're just so happy. We're happy. It's amazing. It's incredible. We laugh. It's amazing, right? 
It's amazing where we can see and experience the kingdom. So in close, here's how we're going to close. And we're going to sing this song, and the song is called um, uh, This is the Kingdom. And the song is beautiful because what it's going to do is it's going to be sing over us the passage that we just read. It's from Elevation Worship. It's going to sing the Beatitudes that we just read, where it's going to sing, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? The song's incredible. And as we're singing the song, I want to point out just one, one specific line. When we get to the bridge, he's going to say, seeking the kingdom, right? He says, seek first the kingdom. And this means that we're submitting to Jesus as king, and he's transforming us to be more like him. And then it says, and all these things will be added. And what's saying is, hey, we get all the promises. We seek Jesus. We seek to become like Jesus. And he just adds things to us. So the band's going to come up and get ready. We're posting up here. So here's what I would love to do. You have a few options. One, my recommended option is you just sit. And if you have a journal, you pull out your journal. And if you want to reflect, you reflect on whatever God may be trying to teach you right now in this moment, whatever it may be. However God is tugging at your heart, you can pull out your phone, you can write it down, you can journal, you can write it down. We're just going to have a reflection time as our band and our team just sings us over you. Um, In addition, if you're like, Isaac, I can't journal because I need prayer right now. We're going to have a prayer team. So we'll be, have a few people down here in the front. We'll have some people in the back as well. We're going to have a prayer team that just wants to pray for you. Option number two. Option number three. If you get to a point in the song, which may happen, if you get to a point in the song, this song's a banger. If you get to the point in the song when you're like, I can't reflect anymore. I just need to stand and sing and shout and raise my hands and be so thankful at the kingdom of God, then you know what to do. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for you and for your son, Jesus, God. Thank you for your kingdom. I just pray for my table family right now as we just sit and maybe later we stand and we sing and we can reflect on your goodness and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.